Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Man, it's nice to be back on the air here with this podcast. We've got a jam-packed episode for you. Edron James went to the Hall of Fame this Saturday, got his gold jacket. What made him great? We're going to talk more about that today. We're going to lead off with that. Then we're going to take a look at fantasy players that I want to share of whose who's upside is better than what I've projected for them right now. And so that means that you may not get want to take all these guys for your roster, but at least one to three of them you're going to want to have. And a lot of them are available in the back half of your draft, so we're going to talk about them in depth. Then we're going to look at some intriguing camp players who have long-term growth potential. These are players who may not necessarily be players you want to roster on your fantasy team, but you're going to want to keep an eye on them on the waiver wire when injuries arrive. They're really good dynasty options to monitor for big roster leagues where you have taxi squads. You know, Mike Davis was a running back one last year. He's always been talented. He's bounced around the league with the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Bears before going to Carolina, but he's always shown his talent. And you could see what he did last year, and now he's got a starting gig. There are some future Mike Davis-type guys on my list. I can tell you that even if they're not running backs. Um, or all of them aren't. And then we're going to take a look at the 2022 quarterback class, give you an overview. I've watched most of these guys this summer, tell you what I think about them, what they need to work on, how they project to the NFL, at least at this stage before the 2021 season begins. And before we get started, listen, if you haven't bought your rookie scouting portfolio, pre-draft, post-draft guide, or dynasty two-year dynasty rankings and two-year projections packages yet go do it man go do it and i know that some of you you know most of you who are listening you're already subscribers and i thank you 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 know you're you're the best group of readers that i can possibly imagine you're fantastic to to work with um if you're new and you've heard about me on twitter or youtube or instagram or, or at football guys let me tell you something the rookie scouting portfolio is by far the best thing I do in this space, and I've been writing about football and fantasy football since really 2000, um, maybe even a little earlier, but consistently since 2003. I've been doing this full-time for five years. The rookie scouting portfolio, um, pre-draft, post-draft package, you get a really in-depth look at the rookies, probably more in-depth than anything that you will find anywhere, anywhere. I And I know that sounds like a big promise, but I tend to under-promise and over-deliver. Just ask around. It's available for $21.95. It's worth twice that. I can tell you that. Most people write me and tell me it's worth twice that or, or even more. And some people even write me to ask me to charge more. So um, then there's a Dynasty Rankings um, projection package. I basically do projections, two-year projections for every meaningful offensive skill player that I think could have an impact for every team. And then I rank them for you in a dynasty format in a tiered cheat sheet. One tiered cheat sheet is for win-now mode in dynasty, win-now build, and the other is for long-term build. So one's for one to three years, one's more for three to five. I separate that all out for you. It's, you know, listen... I haven't marketed that a lot, but from what 
I'm hearing back from the feedback. About a third of my customers have already bought it this year, and I've really soft-marketed it. And they love it. They absolutely love it. They feel like it completes the circle of offerings that I do because most people have been asking for years for me to do complete dynasty rankings. Um, and, you know, I couldn't be happier to provide that. So the next set of updates for the dynasty rankings projection package for those of you who are, who are subscribers and are curious will be in the next seven to 10 days, possibly earlier. And you know me, because I like to under promise, over deliver, I might have them out earlier. And maybe, maybe I might have two updates in August. So we'll see. We'll see how you know, see how the injuries shake out and and how much the, how much changes over the next ten to fourteen days. Um, you know, before we go down that road. But that's the, that's what we got going on. You know, at RSP Land, it's definitely encourage you to uh, check everything out. And we're gonna have a fun show today. All right, congratulations to the 2021 Hall of Fame class. I know there were some excellent players. Peyton Manning was probably the headliner, but I'll tell you a guy who made Peyton Manning or helped pay, make Peyton Manning who he was early on. And that was Edger and James because Edger and James took a lot of pressure off Peyton Manning beginning year two. And this is a guy who had an 11 year career for the Colts, the Cardinals, the Seahawks, over 12,000 yards, over 80 rushing touchdowns. This is someone who his first 38 games, according to Brian Fry, uh, Fry who has worked with um, football perspective and does his own data analysis. No back has gained more, had more production in his first two years, first 38 games actually, two and a, almost, you know, over three years really. Well, over two really, excuse me. Um, then Edwin James, first 38 games, best career of a running back statistically. And when you watched him those first two years, as I would say, I had a discussion with my buddy Eric Stoner the other day. When you watch Edron James, he was, those first two years when he was healthy, was what Frank Gore might have become if Frank Gore didn't tear both his ACLs. Okay. Um, Edron James was an incredible back who ran for power, had breakaway speed he had lightning quick change of direction skill unbelievable bend his pad level was the model for what you look for from a running back and he could catch the heck out of the ball first two years in the league he had 169 targets and 125 receptions in his first two years over over 1,100 yards, 11 actually 1,180 yards and nine touchdowns in two years as a receiver. Fantastic player. What made him so good? I mean, we talked about some of those things. You know, Eric and I had this conversation because I said that Edron James was better than Fred Taylor. Somebody I mentioned how there was no back really more impressive than him during that era and somebody on Twitter said 
Fred Taylor was, what about Fred Taylor? Fred Taylor was better. And I'd say that Fred Taylor was a more impressive physical specimen as a runner, but was not the short yardage runner that Edron James was. Edron James was one of the best short yardage runners I've ever seen. Edron James was a far better pass protector and caught the ball better than Fred Taylor. Um, and my buddy Eric, who is a Jaguars fan, basically said the same thing. He's like, Fred was a better big playback, more impressive size agility ratio, but Edge was way more powerful, much better use of leverage, and could actually catch Fred too much of a dancer to ever be good in short yardage. And one of the things that, you know, about James was that because he had such complete skills, when he got hurt and had that injury, he lost that top-end speed, and he lost some of his quickness and acceleration. Even so, he went on to, to gain, essentially, most of his 10,000 yards post-injury. And... And Eric mentioned, he said, listen, the way he changed into more of a grinder post-knee injury is very impressive. He had such a great build for a running back as well. Super long torso, short legs, amazing low center of gravity. He could just use that long torso as leverage like a battering ram and still have a solid base with those short legs. Very uniquely built player. And when you watch James... Watch some of his highlight videos on YouTube. You'll find them. I used to post them on the RSP site. Watch some of the cuts he made during the first two years of his career. They were some of them were on in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood of Barry Sanders. Some of the cuts he made, the way he could gear down, drop his weight, and make cuts without losing much speed, and the sharpness of those cuts fantastic and when you have a back who can compile you know 3262 rushing yards and carry the ball over nearly 800 times in two years i mean james had 369 carries as a rookie in 1999 then 387 carries in 2000 that doesn't include again the 169 targets and 125 more receptions that he earned in those two years you're looking at a back who essentially touched the ball we're, we're looking at 756 and 125 we're looking at a player who touched the ball nearly 900 times in two years in two years think about the pressure that took off of Peyton Manning how much that aided Manning and Harrison in the play action game they ran that stretch play all the time they had a simple offense and it was basically about executing and having a quarterback who could read the field and find opportunities. And Peyton Manning was one of the best of all time, if not the best quarterback of all time. You could make an argument for him. Um, the fact, you know, um, and certainly there are great quarter, you know, Montana, you know, Montana Unitas, you know, Brady, all those guys, Marino, all those guys, you, you know, 
you can have your pick, but Manning belongs in that conversation. But for Manning to have gotten the opportunity to acclimate and grow, a lot of that came from the fact that he wasn't under constant pressure because that run game and play-action game created opportunities for him. We now know that play-action, even without the run game, can be effective. Well, when you had Edron James and what he could do, he really set the stage for Manning's growth, made it an optimal situation for him. And even after he got hurt, he still had, even though you know he only played, after playing 32 games his first two years, he only played 20 his next two. Um, but he came back and still had a 1,200-yard season, a 1500, two 1,500-yard seasons, Really had two 1,200-yard seasons, two 1,500-yard seasons, and an 1,100-yard season over the in consecutive years. One, two, three, five straight years of seasons with at least 1,100 yards and as much as 1,500, and that's just rushing. You know, he still had strong receiving years where at least between, you know, 2003, 2004, he still had 50 catches, over 50 catches in each of those seasons. So, you know, you look at James post-injury and even then what he provided as a short yardage back, he was fantastic in being able to find short little creases and know when to use his pads to get under defenders and when to come over the top and hammer down on them and extend it over the top of them. A back who does that really well right now at least from what I saw on college tape, is Trey Sermon. We're going to talk about him in a moment here. But Edron James, yeah, I mean, if if there were a back I'd choose to defend the planet, as I've often said, if we were going to use an Independence Day-like scenario where the aliens came, but they said, you know what, we play football, we'll challenge you to a football game, and you can keep your planet if you win, and we'll let you feel to your best at their best. And uh, we have the technology to do that, at least for a game. And if you lose, you go to the salt mines where we're going to rule this planet. If you win, we'll leave you alone. I would have Edron James from his first two years as one of my running backs. He might be the starter. So let's talk about some of these fantasy players that I want to share of who may be better than what I've projected for them. You know, these are guys that, that you, you know, you can't totally project them for top production mainly because they either don't have a full-time gig yet and they're just having promising camps or they're guys who haven't had top production before and they may be a little bit unproven or they're coming off of, you know, difficult periods during their career and need to show that they have more left in the tank and the early signs are good. Let's lead off with some receivers. Brian Edwards tops my list. Right now, last year when Brian Edwards came in the Raiders camp, Derek Carr said he reminds me of Devontae Adams, my former teammate at Fresno State. Just the way he goes up and wins the ball, the rapport that I have with him, his athletic ability, just the feel that he has for tracking the football in the air. And Edwards had a, a really impressive camp as a rookie. 
they were they used him they were going to use him as a starter the, he got into the starting rotation promptly got hurt and really his season was derailed after that he really never fully came back this year not only we're hearing the Devontae Adams comparison once again we're also getting comparisons to Randy Moss and comparisons to Terrell Owens the one you know John Gruden gave the Terrell Owens um, impression in terms of comparison and when you look at Edwards game this is a big strong receiver who earns yards after contact but can also make you miss he's very skilled after the catch but he also wins well at the catch point some of his his catch radius at its best when he's at his best with his catch radius it's all pro level it's all pro caliber he has that kind of height of talent in his game he can be a little less consistent with catching the ball at times that was something that cropped up earlier in his college career at south carolina he corrected that and was much better as a senior and i think that's where people looked at all of his tape and saw some of the drops and he probably fell down their list and also kind of a bigger player kind of more of an old school receiver and a lot of teams are going for those you know shorter smaller faster guys but Edwards is athletic enough to play in this era as a lead receiver and he's having a spectacular camp right now from what I'm reading I think that he's going to get a shot to if he's not a starter you know even though he's currently on the first on the depth chart ahead of John Brown and I think he can be a far more versatile player than Brown is and I think he can be a better route runner long term than what route run than what John Brown provides. I think this year Edwards is a guy you can take probably after the seventh or eighth round, maybe even after the tenth round. Right now, his his average draft position may rise right now because of some of the news that he's some of the uh, pub he's getting. But I think you'll be able to get him after the seventh round and get someone who will provide you at least strong flex production. I think he his upside this year could be top 15 wide receiver because when you look at what the Ra- the Raiders provide in terms of offense, you know, it's not there's really not a proven receiver on board beyond Brown. Um there they need a big guy that Carr can go to. And I think he's it. They have Incognito back as a run blocker who's a just a nasty, nasty run blocker that will help the play-action game. And when Carr gets good play-action and they can, they can establish the run or at least be able to make the play-action pass compelling, he, he's at his best. And Brian Edwards is the type of player who could really benefit from that but can give you you know, skill in the short area of the field on crossing routes and quick throwouts, as well as that deep aspect of the game. And he's big enough to handle, as long as his routes continue to improve, he's big enough to be a intermediate weapon as well. And Darren Waller obviously is the lead pass catcher on this team, but Edwards could make a push to be the number two option overall. Jalen Waddle. 
You know, there was talk earlier that he's still walking a bit with a limp, but Gene Bramble's kind of dispelled that from what he's heard about Waddle and Camp and how he's moving around. I don't think that's much to be worried about, especially when he talks about the tightrope surgery that Waddle had and how well players tend to recover from it. Just rare speed, great contested catch skills. As I've mentioned in the RSP, if you haven't bought it, he's reminds me a lot of Santana Moss, a guy who had 1,400, 1,500-yard season with the Jets back in an era where they didn't spread the field. Santana Moss in this era would have been a, a, a fantastic player, would have been probably been mentioned, maybe not in the same breath as Tyreek Hill, but he would have meant, been mentioned as a Tyreek Hill type of player. And I think, you know, when they, and I think that he would have functioned that way in a spread, you know, more spread out offenses. I think Jalen Waddell has that potential to be a guy that he gets that ball on a quick hitter and it could be over, you know, 70 yards later. He could be just, you know, weaving through that defense, but he can go up and win the ball, play tough, play big for his size. And I think that Tua Tungavailoa is really going to benefit from Waddle. I'm not a big fan of Will Fuller's um, injury history. I don't trust him until, you know, his his history is so filled with issues and missed games that as good of a route runner as he is, he's not a player I would want to invest in. I'd rather invest in Waddle. I think he'll be a guy that will benefit from Devontae Parker. And his rapport with Tonga Vailoa will be good enough that he'll make an instant impact. Would not surprise me at all if he winds up with top 15 production as a surprise option this year early on. Former top 15, former elite wide receiver, A.J. Green. I'm not giving up on A.J. Green. I know a lot of people are like, he looked slower last year. He didn't look quite as good. He and he and Joe Burrow weren't connecting. No, they weren't. AJ Green has had, you know, repeated issues with ankles and and lower body injuries that have kept him off the field off and on. But he was healthy last year. He's healthy in camp right now. DeAndre Hopkins has basically said that Green looks every bit like the player that he's been in the past and thinks that he's going to be a massive asset for the Cardinals. I wouldn't be surprised if A.J. Green is the starter opposite Hopkins with Rondale Moore in the slot, and Christian Kirk is basically their fourth guy in the rotation. I'm To, to me, A.J. Green is, you know, relative to what his potential can be based on the past, he's practically free he's a free shot at a top 15 wide receiver and I would take that chance based on his his average draft position and you know there's a guy that still ran good routes last year and when you know there's fantasy analysts I trust or I or I value their input about things but one thing that I don't value with a lot of analysts football analysts fantasy analysts whatever is when they start talking about the guy looks less than as an athlete. He looks slower. He looks, you know, he doesn't look quite as explosive. Usually they're mistaking that 
lack of athletic ability or decline in athletic ability with other factors. Oftentimes it can be when they're young players that they're the players overthinking and slow to process information because they're still acclimating or there's a lack of rapport with the player and a teammate who is integral to their success, such as rookie Joe Flacco and Green. And I think that that was part of it last year. Um, and so it's hard for me. You know, it may be that Green has slowed down, but over the years, I've the more I've heard people say the guy's lost some of his athletic ability and he just doesn't look athletic enough to play at a high level in the league anymore, I tend to... I tend not to listen to that. That's usually a reverse barometer for me to look into that player a little bit more and give him another opportunity because that means that especially if they're, you know, a popular analyst, that means that player is going to get written off. You know, David Montgomery got written off early as a player because he lacked juice. You know, same with Le'Veon Bell. And neither of those could be further, you know, could be, further from the truth both those players had plenty of athletic ability and still you know to be able to play at a high level there were other factors as described A.J. Dillon was a guy who supposedly lacked juice I, he's, he had plenty of it from what I saw at Boston College I was certainly an advocate for Dillon he's going to get his shot you know to be the Jamal Williams alongside A.J. Or excuse me uh, alongside Aaron Jones and I wouldn't be surprised if Dylan earns more of the red zone looks than Jones. Earns a lot of opportunities in the passing game. I think he can catch the ball pretty well. He's a good blocker. I think he's he's a guy that might earn more than what we saw Jamal Williams get. Because he's a dynamic runner. And Jones is in the last year of his deal. Dylan could be the heir apparent. Jones is going to get his, but Dylan may have Dylan may take some of the ceiling off of Jones this year in the touchdown department and also as a closeout back. A back they can put in with the leads and to be able to, you know, just pound the ball at the end of the game. So look for look for Dylan. And if Jones gets hurt, forget about uh, you might want to forget about Jones coming back, especially if this team isn't in the playoff hunt or if Dylan is just playing really well. Jones might end up being the secondary option on this team down the stretch if Dylan plays as well as he's capable. That brings us to Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon, you know, there's a little Edger and James to Trey Sermon's game. He's not as fast as Edger and James was at the top of his, you know, at his peak. But he is fast enough. He's having a strong camp. Kyle Shanahan says that Sermon is playing well in pass pro as a receiver, understands the offense very well, getting first-team reps with Raheem Mostert out. And Mostert's on a one-year deal. Mostert hasn't been able to stay healthy. This is a one-two punch probably to begin the season with Mostert leading the way. But I think Trey, the secret is out on Trey Sermon. I haven't talked about him much this summer because I talked about him so much this time last year. 
I was talking about Trey Sermon. He was my number one back in the rookie scouting portfolio, and I had people kind of scratching their heads about that. I don't think they're scratching their heads about it anymore. In the same way they aren't scratching their heads anymore about why I had Nick Chubb over Saquon Barkley as the best back in that draft class. So keep an eye on that. Ramondre Stevenson remains a favorite to me. Right now, you know, the 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 current Patriots coaching regime currently says Stevenson has to prove you know that he can contribute he's just not he's a talented guy but we're just not giving it to him he's got to earn it you know standard line um and Damian Harris looks good you know he's a he's a competent player you can do everything that you want from a running back in terms of the baseline skills catch run block run for short yardage um run a little bit outside as well he hasn't looked as dynamic as he was in Alabama but uh, his, his style seems to become a little more streamlined um, and you still have James White you know there's you know so Stevenson and Sony Michelle Sony Michelle's a very talented back when healthy so Stevenson's kind of stuck behind you know a number of guys here but as we know Sony Michelle has not been the paragon of health. We know that uh, Williams has been at least kind of a unexciting runner. Ramondre Stevenson can pass protect. He can play special teams. Runs for power. Excellent feet. Really catches the ball well. I guy that I hope he continues to drop down draft boards this month, and maybe I can pick him up late. He's a guy I would probably be trading for in dynasty leagues to see, you know, as people start to become less enamored with him, they feel like they drafted a mistake and because they're impatient fantasy players and they tend to, you know, play in dynasty leagues like they're playing redraft. They're in win-now mode as in this season. If the player doesn't show anything, he's probably not any good. Stevenson's a guy I want to hope to get by low opportunities on. Now, his teammate Mac Jones is lighting up camp. From what I'm hearing, playing very well. You know, the joke from Josh McDaniels is that he gets yelled at very well. Well, Josh McDaniels yells is a yeller anyway. He's a yeller and a critical type of coach. Um, you know, Ted Sunquist told a story on the air once with Brandon Thorne and I um, talking about how he read, before he even met Jay Cutler, his first phone conversation with Cutler who was coming off a Pro Bowl year his second year and the Broncos knew he still had a lot to learn McDaniels welcomed himself to the organization by basically cursing out Jay Cutler and telling him how bad he was and how much he needed to learn and was just an absolute ass to Cutler and Cutler turned to his agent and looked at the coaches that were on the call and the GM and all of them said I want out of here. Trade me. Now, that you know that tells you a little bit about Jay Cutler, but also told you a little bit about Josh McDaniels and his tenure, and the fact that you know he he's been offered opportunities, but has been kind of weird about you know putting himself in the mix and then taking himself out of the mix. You know, very good offensive mind for what the Patriots do, um, but the fact that. You know, Mac Jones can take the criticism and dish it back out. He's got that mental toughness, that kind of mindset, competitive spirit. That's something that he's shown 
at Alabama where, you know, in a practice, as I've talked about, where Nick Saban was trying to run a specific defensive look and get his team practice on it, with it, and Mac Jones kept destroying it, you know, with touchdown passes. And the coach was like, man, quit, you know, quit doing that. And, you know, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to, you know, trying to work with these guys. And Jones is like, you know, make them, make them stop me. Make them stop me. I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep coming at them. You know, that kind of, that kind of mentality, smart player, strong pocket presence, tough physically, even though he's a smaller quarterback, he's not a Ben Roethlisberger type. I I think he's going to end up starting by week seven. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's earlier than that. Um, Tua Tonga Vailoa, you know, a lot of people are like, well, he's not as good as Mac Jones was. And Mac Jones isn't all that great. Well, I think we're going to find out that Mac Jones is pretty pretty darn good. And I think we're going to find out also that so is Tua. The tongue of Iloa, you know, got a raw deal last year. I mean, think about it. You're the Dolphins. You decide that you're going to start him at some point during the year. He's even though he's coming off a tough injury, the co- with COVID had difficulty really getting him acclimated to the full playbook. I mean, Tom Brady didn't even know the playbook till about halfway through the season with his team, and he had a twenty-year. He's had twenty years of NFL experience to you know absorb offensive material, and if he didn't know his new playbook, you know, until halfway through the year and threw forty touchdowns, you know, Tua Tagovailoa cut him a little bit of slack, especially when you bring him in in the midst of you know on a team with veterans who suddenly are in a playoff hunt and you, the the team's wondering why management would insert a rookie in there when they have Ryan Fitzpatrick playing pretty well. And it's a good question. It's not to his fault, you know, but, you know, the fact that he his errors were going to become more magnified when you consider that he didn't know the playbook as well as he would have in a non-COVID, non-injury year. And the fact that he had to follow someone who was playing well and the team was in contention. There were strong moments from Tua's game from what I could see. He was aggressive at the right times, showed good arm strength, showed ability to, to um, work away from pressure and move in the pocket well, had the deep game you're looking for, you know, aggressive in tight windows, you know, saw, saw second and third reads. I think this guy's going to have a good career. I think a very good career. Uh, a quarterback one quality fantasy um, season is in the works for me, I think, and at least in 16-team leagues. And I think he's really got a shot to be a top-12 quarterback this year With if all those receivers can stay healthy, Parker, Waddle, and Fuller, and and Albert Wilson can play to Matt Harmon's expectations of him because that's a guy that Harmon seems to love. And Wilson is good. I liked him out of Georgia State. Um, you know, this, this team could be pretty loaded in its passing offense if they can get a good running game going. That's more than just kind of scat back you. And I think Malcolm Brown can, can provide some of that too, at least as a committee option. And the final guy is Mike Davis, a guy I mentioned at the top of the show. 
you know, a lot of people are down on Davis because they look at Carol, what he did down the stretch at Carolina, and they're like, his production fell off. Well, he played some tough teams. You know, he played some tough defenses in New Orleans and Tampa Bay. He'll face some of those tough defenses again in the AFC South with Atlanta, you know, but he also has a better offensive line now. Carolina doesn't have a great offensive line. Hasn't had one. Um, you know, which just tells you how special Christian McCaffrey really is. McCaffrey's one of the best tight traffic, kind of tight area runners in the league. He might be the best at it. His his ability to find creases and do it seamlessly and process information in 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 you know high traffic areas is fantastic. And Mike Davis is no slouch though. This is a guy with a lot more quickness, short area change of direction skill, cutting ability, makes dynamic cuts that with little wasted motion, um, catches the heck out of the football, and he can run for power. This is a good, good back. This isn't, you know, I liked Peyton Barber a lot, but this is kind of more what I saw, thought Peyton Barber might become because Davis has more juice to his game. So the people who talk about the statistical end of it and talk about the drop-off, they didn't really watch Mike Davis. They don't really know Mike Davis's game if they're if they're talking about it from that perspective because this guy this guy has the athletic ability of a starter always did. And to play in Atlanta that has a developing offensive line, they still have, you know, Ridley, Hayden Hurst and if Pitts plays like he's playing in camp right now, he may not be Julio Jones, but he certainly is a second or third receiver of high value who will keep this um, keep opposing defenses off um, honest while they spread the field. And Davis will see a lot of six, seven-man fronts where he can really perform well. And remember, even when Davis had a short-lived career in San Francisco and in Chicago, neither of those teams had strong offensive lines at that time. And when he was with Seattle, he had a strong yards per carry average. He had strong production in relief for a team that didn't have a great offensive line either, but they had a strong quarterback who could run and open things up and they could spread the field a bit. And Davis looked very good there. In Atlanta, I think this is a guy that I've wanted to project 1,300 yards for, 12 touchdowns for. I've had him more closer to 11 to 12 right now in terms of uh, 11 to 1,200 yards. But I think this is a guy who could have another top 12 season if everything goes right for Atlanta and they stay healthy. The upside's a little better than people think. So let's take a look at some of the camp guys with long-term growth potential. Guys who... You know, you're not going to probably draft in fantasy leagues at all. Um, but you might stash them on your, your waiver, you know, on your uh, practice squads in dynasty leagues. and Or at least monitor them throughout the year for opportunities. Because if they get opportunities, I think they can produce. Let's start with Dax Milne. I think his last name was pronounced Milne or Milne. He is out of BYU. He was... Probably the top receiver for Zach Wilson last year with the Cougars. 
He reminded me of Adam Humphreys, a player who he might wind up usurping the role of Humphreys on the depth chart for Washington's football team. Now, he had a depth of talent score for me of 79.8, which is on the cusp of a rotational starter, a player who can execute at a starter level and a role that plays to his strength. A rotational starter is usually a guy who sees a lot of playing time in three and four wide receiver sets when you're talking about receivers. And I watched him against a number of teams, but I tracked him against UCF, Boise State, Houston, and Louisiana Tech. This is a guy who, while I think his ceiling of potential is probably close to being tapped out from an athletic standpoint, um, this is a guy who I think can be a reserve on the outside and give you some of that Rashard Higgins type of potential where he has good rapport with the quarterback and can earn separation with some good routes as an outside guy, but he could be a starter in the slot. Um, he's I think he's a little faster than Humphreys. Um, I think he's a guy who can get separation in the 25 to 35 yard range, which means you know when you are inside the 40 and you want to take a shot into the red zone, Humphreys, um, excuse me, Milne's a guy who I think you can either have him run against a safety in the slot and get a mismatch that way or win off play action um, on the outside. Um, you know, he had he has some, some basic skills that you're going to want to see in camp, whether he's fixed, you know, whether he, you know, his stance, he needs to do a little bit of better job of, not rocking off his back foot so that he tips off his release to defenders playing playing tight. Um, but if he's facing off coverage, it's not as big of a deal, though it can be a tell for a short um, for any routes that break back and the defender is reading the eyes of the quarterback. Um, but you know, for me, you know, when you watch his game, He's really at his most dangerous within the first five to seven yards off the line. He has a quick first step. He gets that separation early, and he knows how to stack. And so when he can stack a defender getting over the top of him, he dominates in the short and intermediate range. Um, and he's very experienced working with a scrambler. He knows how to think ahead and make fluid adjustments. That's going to help with a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who isn't an unbelievable scrambler but needs a, a smart, heady player. And right now, Milton's getting work with the ones at times in camp. He's grown from being basically an afterthought who caught the eye of the coaching staff and OTAs in minicamp and is now getting looks with the ones, which what that means, you know, it, you know, for a, you know, to analyze what's going on in training camp, what that really means is that this team is impressed with what they've seen from him with the twos and threes and you know and he's worked his way up to at least get a look at see what he can do against some higher level players and if he shows that consistent ability to where he's earning time with the second team and maybe occasionally with the first team in the preseason if he gets time with the second team in the preseason that's probably saying we see him as a guy who's going to make our roster as long as he can show that he plays well under the lights and maybe he can grow from there. If he gets some first-team looks in the preseason, that means we're going to see, we definitely think he can make our roster. We're going to see if he can contribute this year. We want to see if that can that's something he can grow into. 
So the fact that he's even getting first-team practice reps is the first step towards that. So I'd keep an eye on Milne. He's a nice kind of um, player who I think, you know, down the line as he gets better with his routes and learns how to be physical at the in you know at the catch point he's some and understands how to acclimate against NFL level defenders if he can sharpen his game he could wind up being a a, a surprising guy another guy who's really shined in practice is Austin Trammell according to observers with the Atlanta Falcons um I believe Kevin Knight's one of those writers with Falcoholic. Austin Trammell, out of out of Rice, a player I've talked about before, because I know Alex Brown, the, the the director of recruiting there. Trammell's a, a freakishly good athlete who caught everything in camp right now. And I think he's got a little bit of a muscle strain right now, but he's a player who's getting open, catching the ball, earning yards after the catch. Um, can play special teams. I would. I I projected him in my rankings and projections back in in May that he would make the roster. I think he's going to make this roster, and he's a guy that you know Brown mentioned as a Danny Amendola style of player. And if Danny Amendola could have stayed healthy, you're looking at a Wes Welker type of player in terms of the the production potential that you're looking for. Another Atlanta Falcon worth, you know, keeping an eye on is Javian Hawkins. You know, Hawkins at 195 pounds, scat back for sure, but he runs tough for his size. So he's someone that maybe not be getting a bulk of short yardage opportunities or every down carries or closeout carries, but he can run between the tackles, find open creases, and then get one-on-one with a safety or a linebacker in space and make them miss. And he's someone that I think he's going to earn a an opportunity for that role as a scat back. Because you think about it, you've got Cordero Patterson as a passing down back, supposedly. But he's a guy that needs a lot of preparation from a mental side. He just, for whatever reason, I'm not saying he's a dumb guy. What I'm saying, though, is that some players... No matter how smart they are, book smarts or life smarts, they just have difficulty being able to take a game plan and translate it to the field without a lot of lot of more work than what teams are able to supply in terms of budgeting their time. And Patterson has been one of those guys throughout his career. Um, so I think that with Patterson, you can give him four to five select plays and really get him working and then he performs well on those four to five plays. But he, you have to continue to work with him at it. And if you evolve the game plan, it takes more work than what teams are worth, you know, find worthwhile. And that's why he's bounced around so much. He is as great of a physical talent as he's been. Um, you know, they, Tony Brooks James was a scat back that's hung around with the Falcons for a couple years. But now he's in Pittsburgh, I believe. So they don't really have a scat back other than Hawkins as that kind of candidate for that role. Um, so they did sign Donta Freeman, or Donta Foreman, excuse me, this week. And Foreman's a guy who can catch the ball. 
He has some potential as a pass protector. Coming off that Achilles injury from two years ago, he got some top playing time with the Titans, but they didn't re-sign him. They didn't re-sign him. They added Brian Hill, who's a cast-off from Atlanta. Now Arthur Smith added, you know, Foreman. So they're both, you know, both teams are kind of betting on former players. You know, it, it, you almost wonder if it's a weird ego thing. I mean, I, it probably isn't. But I, I like Brian Hill in, in Tennessee more than I like Dante Foreman in Atlanta right now, just more due to the injury. If Foreman can show he's all the way back, and we haven't seen that with Achilles injuries for running backs, he could factor in this offense as a as a two-down back, maybe eventually a three-down back. But Hawkins gives you that scat back opportunity behind Mike Davis, who can be a three-down back as long as he doesn't wear down. Now, a guy who's making some noise in camp with the Colts that no one really expected to do well there was quarterback Sam Ellinger. The, you know, Jake Arthur, who covers the Colts and does a pretty darn good job of that, mentioned Ellinger as a guy that if the Colts really wanted to make this a competition, Ellinger has been the best quarterback in camp after Wentz got hurt. He's And that the coaches have complimented his play, his acclimation to the offense, his poise. And, you know, I liked Ellinger. He was a, you know, he's a guy that I saw as a really nice project. I don't, I don't think he, I think he's an underrated development project who's going to provide value within the next three to four years. That's what I wrote in the rookie scouting portfolio pre-draft. A guy who could be a top backup or a potential journeyman starter. And every time I temper his expectations for him by mentioning him this way, I keep having this nagging feeling that I'm undervaluing the ceiling. That's what I wrote. And so to me, Ellinger's arm is good enough to start in the league. He's a proficient thrower on the move. He's a very sturdy ball carrier with the athletic ability to move the chains and threaten linebackers with his acceleration. Um, He's steadily improved his game during his career at Texas. Now listen to this. This is I'm reading this. Two years ago, Ellinger's deep passing accuracy was like Carson Wentz's at North Dakota State and Philadelphia, everywhere but within stride of the target. Last year, Ellinger was far more accurate based on my tracking, um, but you won't see that because of the number of drops his receivers had. But Ellinger is game-tested, multi-year starter, who can outperform draft day expectations and becomes a better rhythm quarterback and leans less on his athletic ability and buying time to create. And Ellinger I had rated as my seventh quarterback just behind Zach Wilson. And I had him compared along the same spectrum as Carson Wentz. Um, Funny that he wound up in Indianapolis behind Wentz. And when you look at him, you know, he thrived for a year or two. You know, Wentz thrived for a year or two in an eagle scheme predicated on short drops and quick decisions with zone read looks from pistol and shotgun. And Alan Gurr could be a really good understudy for a team that wants to incorporate the offensive principles we've seen in Philadelphia and Indianapolis. He's a sturdy runner with good athletic ability, handles pressure effectively, and he's an underrated off-platform selection. He's a third-day 
off-platform passer. He's a third-day selection. If he gets drafted and they give him a longer window to develop behind the scenes in two to three years, he could earn an audition as a second contract starter or develop into a valued backup. And here he is in Indianapolis. You know, this isn't the first rodeo I've had where I've talked about where a guy would fit well with a team and the team picks that player. I mean, I'm not saying that while there are a lot of teams that do look at the RSP, it's more of a cross-checking, you know, reference for them. Um, I would say that all I'm doing is I'm reflecting what these guys are seeing on film too, you know. Um, but, you know, in this offense, the vertical game isn't as important. You know, they need a guy who can, you know, really make some quick decisions. And sometimes he had issues with quick decisions at Texas where he had more options to throw to. But in an offense like Indianapolis's, with what they want to do with what they wanted to do with Wentz is just give him some quick decisions and execute, you know, off of the threat of the run. Yeah, Ellinger is a guy who I think could fit very well. Um, and because he can run and, you know, he's a, you know, he's someone who can buy time. I, I just keep an eye on him, especially if Jacob Eason just, if he flounders and Wentz never gets back to, you know, the level of play that he had when he had a lot of help in Philadelphia. But Ellinger's a guy I've grabbed and saved on some, you know, in some leagues in fantasy where I have deep roster spots and I can just keep him on a practice squad. I didn't expect him to perform well in camp this year. So far, he's looking pretty good. And you might want to, you know, you just might want to keep tabs on this guy over the next year or two, even if nothing comes to fruition this year. Jacob Harris having a strong camp from what we heard at least early on. Um, very athletic. We'll probably get some opportunities both as a slot receiver, a big, you know, kind of a big slot tight end, move tight end type who will be used in, at a two-point stance or in a two tight end set where he won't have to be dealing with someone trying to jam him and get matched up with a safety as the speed, the fluidity. He may not be a fantasy option this year, but I think he can grow into being a, a very good receiver, whether that's a receiving tight end or a wide receiver. I prefer to see him as a wide receiver, but the uh, the Rams prefer to talk about him as a tight end. Jalen Darden. I covered the Buccaneers for football guys training camp reports that Bob Henry and Jason Wood put together there in terms of editing and compiling. I can tell you from what I'm reading about Darden and listening to press conferences, very good stuff. The thing about Darden that's been impressive is his ability to get off press coverage, according to Bruce Arians. Arians really likes what he's seen with him getting separation. The biggest issue with Darden and what they're trying to do to address that is they're putting him in a lot of one-on-one -on -one situations and having him run routes that break inside or back to the quarterback, his breaks need to improve. And if his breaks can get good enough and consistent enough to be at the right spots, this is a guy who could contribute this year. And that's saying a lot when you consider that this might be the best receiving core in the league with Evans, Godwin, Brown, Scott Miller, and Darden 
added to that list. I mean, that's five receivers right there, and then you still have, you know, Gronkowski and Howard. How the how anyone can't look at this team and think that this team isn't going to be pushing for record production if it stays healthy is just beyond me. But I'm I'm not gonna go in there. Jalen Camp is another Jalen who I would keep an eye on. So far, you know, Shipley, Will Shipley, um, who writes for the Jaguars, um, one of the local Jaguar sites, talked about Camp displaying, you know, good hands, consistency, and potential big play ability with, you know, all that athletic ability that he shows, you know, that would made him a combine wonder. They, that he did that all in camp and he could make the roster, could push for a roster spot on that team. And, you know, Marvin Jones is a fine player, but he's older. He might have a couple years left. If DJ Chark doesn't respond this year, he could be on the way out. LaVisca Chenault, fantastic talent like Chark, but again, needs to stay healthy. And that was an issue that he had in, um, you know, in college. If, you know, there are three guys who all three of them could have fantastic seasons this year, but their their floors are just as low as their ceilings. And Camp could be a surprising guy. Another guy who surprised for a lot of folks and has been an RSP favorite for a while is former Georgia State wide receiver Penny Hart, who I liked better than Albert Wilson. Um, Penny Hart, excellent short area quickness understands how to run routes efficiently um, in a way that Andy Isabella never did. I always thought people looked at Andy Isabella and got all excited about him, and what they thought they were seeing was actually what what I was seeing in Penny Hart. And you could see that at the Senior Bowl. I mean, Andy Isabella was not efficient working off the line of scrimmage, took way too much time to try and work open, and while those backyard moves impressed people in the media and maybe some scouts, it really doesn't translate to the field very well. Um, and maybe he'll get better as a technician and maybe land with another team that can put him in situations to succeed. And certainly there's some potential there for him to be a contributor. But I think Penny Hart was better after the catch, better as a route runner, better off the line of scrimmage, better at the catch point making contested plays tougher player after the catch and he's been lighting up camp in Seattle to the point that they think he could not only make the roster but like he did last year and get some playing time but get more playing time than he did in the in the past and if you know Dwayne Eskridge their draft pick can't stay healthy and has an issue with that toe and, it, and it's prolonged or has some sort of cascading injuries because he pushes it too hard and rookies tend to do that Penny Hart could have a role on this team. Maybe not a huge one, but one where you're suddenly keeping an eye on him for fantasy purposes down the line. And the last guy is Eno Benjamin. Eno Benjamin, when you look at this guy, you know, I've talked that he was like 99 proof LaShawn McCoy. Um, you know, the way he moves, the way he sees, um, finds and spots openings, short area quickness, ability to catch the football, Functional power to be able to carry the ball 15, 17 touches a game if need be. And last year, he just didn't play special teams. He wasn't a special teams guy. And so Jonathan Ward, another underrated back who I really liked, 
out of central Michigan or is it western Michigan? I'm trying to remember. One of those Michigans. Um, very good receiver, Jonathan Ward. Good speed and quickness. Tough runner. A little more straight line-ish than Eno Benjamin. He played good special teams. So he got the roster spot ahead of Benjamin. This year, Benjamin's been catching on in terms of playing better with the details of special teams. And then he's been doing better in terms of just his overall play as a runner too because you know you acclimate over the season i don't think there's any question about him as a runner but now that he's gotten the special teams looks and he's earning you know more opportunities and a shot to be able to be on the active roster he's also gotten some first team looks in camp with um, james connor injured and james connor listen still a good back in terms of being a contributor but if he can't stay healthy Benjamin has a shot to really make an impact on this roster, especially if Chase Edmonds flounders a bit. And I like Chase Edmonds. I'm just not sure he's the next Brian Westbrook. Um, and I think Benjamin can give you a little bit. He can give you what Edmonds provides and maybe a little bit more if he plays to the best of his ability. Let's finish this up with a look at the 2022 quarterback class. Let's start with Brock Purdy. You know, out of Iowa State, a lot of people talk about him as a very productive quarterback, very smart quarterback, someone who has, you know, NFL potential. I think he has NFL potential as a backup right now. Um, I think he does a good job beating the blitz. He understands how to do that. Um, he he is someone that could do very well in, in an offense that does a lot of quick hitting work, like the Eagles and Colts. You know, another example of a player who could get an opportunity with a, a squad like that. He has a real good feel for climbing the pocket from a couple of points of pressure. He's got quick feet to make the first man miss. He can give a little sidestep with pursuit, but he's not a, you know, a top athlete who's going to burst and and get yards, you know, breaking the the line of scrimmage there. I think that under pressure he can get a little too aggressive and try and squeeze targets into tight windows where there's a little bit that might be too demanding for his receivers or for himself to complete with pressure bearing down. Um, he is very good at transitioning to a second read and checking down when pressure threatens him, and he reads through progressions against man coverage very well um, and does some manipulation of defenders against man-to-man. -man. Um, and, you know, to me, the, the play fake, ball handling is all potentially strong for him he can get really good at that if he works at it and I think he's going to need to to make up for the fact that he you know the ability to run and manipulate with as a scrambler isn't going to be a strong thing with him the ball security is a an issue with him he has lapses he needs to keep the ball a little bit higher especially when he does run um and he has to tuck the ball a little bit sooner um Right now, the biggest thing I would want to see him work on is his drop plan. I think, you know, he takes a hop at the end of his drops instead of decelerating, um, you know, with his drop back plan so that he can stick the drop and have a really firm base to throw or move from so that he's in, always in a good position to throw accurately. And I think it takes away from both his accuracy and his velocity in terms of the 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 optimal potential he has as a thrower. So uh, there's things I like about Purdy, but he's going to have to be an unbelievable technician and conceptual manipulator of defenses to be a starter in the NFL 
So while I think people are talking about him as a part of this list, he's probably the guy last on my list right now of potential starters um, of the ones I'm going to talk about. Keenan Slovis, 6'2", 200, probably going to be a little bigger than that entering this year. When I watch him, I think he has moments where you can see starter skills. You know, but he has to he has to do a better job of dropping back faster so that he can read the field faster and have a more accurate understanding of what he's seeing downfield. When he sees and reads the leverage of defenders fast enough, he makes good decisions and he has the arm to deliver pro caliber throws. When he doesn't see this information well, he makes a lot of mistakes. Um, And I'd like to see him become more confident with his decision-making. He has to do better of seeing man-to-man coverage. He's going to see a lot of man-to-man in the NFL, and he has to understand when he, he needs to throw that ball. He can be late or just not make the right decision with that. He throws well on the move, um, you know, but this is a guy that I think just processes a little too slow or his processing is incomplete. So I'm looking forward to seeing more from him this year to see if he develops. He, he, what's interesting to me is um, he, he may have won the job from JT Daniels because of injury to Daniels, but I think JT Daniels is the better quarterback. And I think JT Daniels is the quarterback to watch in this class. This is a guy with the arm, with the processing speed, with you know the aggression, the appropriate aggression you want to look for, who has who's going to be playing, you know, show some feel for playing in both under center and in spread looks. Um, and so that's the guy I expect to be the biggest riser in this draft class this year and maybe be the best prospect you know you know on the board for quarterbacks this year and you know that that people aren't are kind of reserved about talking about but um will be there by January February Mark Schofield and I talked about Spencer Rather basically we talked about him as very much a Baker Mayfield type of player with maybe a little more mobility um He's a good distributor of the football in the short game and design plays off, you know, quick hitting play action, zone read, embedded misdirection into the offense. Does very good. He's better against man-to-man than he is against zone. He's more decisive, quicker to process information that way. Um, He's also better when he's in a fixed spot in the pocket um, rather than having to move around some. That's where things can be a little bit issued. But when when he can stay poised, he plays at a high level and at a starter level, potential starter level. When he gets rattled, it, you know, it falls apart for him. And there's things that you want to see him do a better job of, you know, handling in terms of spotting pressure and handling pressure. But um but this is a guy that I think that teams are really going to like and give a shot to who has that, you know, high ceiling, low floor 
of the quarterbacks in this class. Howell reminds me of, you know, the type of players we've seen who, when you give him quick decisions, he does well. He's aggressive downfield and has the arm you're looking for. He has the scrambling ability you're looking for. He's a bit along the lines of like the robo quarterbacks, you know, that who have the dimensions you're looking for, the physical skills, the throwing ability, but maybe it doesn't always tie together the way you want. And I want to see him tie things together a little bit better in terms of making reads where he reads the leverage fast enough that he knows how to manage situational football better. And these are things that either, you know, that a lot of top prospects lack and don't make it into the league, or they eventually develop it and become good starters. And Howell right now is in that space where I I just see him, you know, get too goal-focused on making a big play the longer he can extend a play with his legs and make bad decisions as a result of it. And if he can cut back on that, um, I think there's more opportunities for his game to blossom because he does make some tough throws that should be commonplace for the NFL. He has all the, the tools you're looking for. Toolsy player, just not necessarily as refined as you want, and I have concerns about how refined he can get. This year will answer a lot more questions. Speaking of toolsy players, Malik Willis is getting a lot of love. And you can see, I mean, he's fast. He can definitely run for speed and power. He's got a big cannon of an arm. He makes some fantastic throws that are hard to teach. Um, He can buy time in the pocket and outside of the pocket. You know, the thing is, he's going to have to tame the accuracy. He's going to have to tame the accuracy. He's going to have to set his feet better, not become as, you know, fix some of that baseball throwing motion that he has that can lead to balls sailing or diving on him or not, or be in situations where he can't deliver with the optimal velocity for the type of target he needs to throw with that velocity to be accurate. Um, The other thing is that he doesn't know how to manipulate defenders as a scrambler. You know, he's a good runner, and you can manipulate defenders by getting yardage as a runner and then them having to account for the possibility that it's a running play for him, and then he pulls up and throws. But when he's scrambling away from pressure, he tends to either, he, he tends to just run, you know, unless he rolls out and throws, you know, immediately, like a designed rollout, fine. But when it's not designed, it's either throw or run for him. And very rarely do you see him, at least on pass tape, scramble outside, draw defenders up to him, and then throw the ball over their head. And he had a lot of opportunities to do that at Liberty in the past year that I didn't see him take advantage of. I want to see him do that. Because if he can become a better manipulator with his legs to serve his arm within the same play, he becomes a much more dangerous player. A guy who can do that well is De'Eric King. I think De'Eric King gets slept on. I'm a big fan of what I see with his game. I think he's smart. He knows how to avoid punishment. Um, you know, But at the same time, if he needs to stand in and step into the serious pressure, he'll do it. Um, I think that he, you know, his technical throwing motion can be a little better. You know, this, He doesn't always... Um, 
end up in the best stance. His lower body needs a little bit of work, which can be addressed. Um, so he, he can get a little bit more weight transfer with his legs to generate more torque. You know, get all those cleats in the ground so that you can torque that body fully. When the body, the legs are spread out a little bit more and the cleats aren't all in the ground, you can't get as much muscle torque with your with your trunk to be able to generate that velocity. Um, you know, I think that he has a good feel for where to place the football based on what he sees. And the more he learns in terms of identifying coverage and seeing it, I think the better he gets at that. You know, there are some guys that you're like, well, once he learns coverage, he'll get better at being able to place the football. But they were not good at placing the ball. King's good at it. He just needs to see more and experience more to develop that intuition to an even greater degree or let that intuition take over with certain types of placement. And what I mean is that he has the potential to become an advanced processor of the field. And so, you know, there's a guy who can play under center. He can do boots and and different types of reads, um, play fakes. He's got the arm you're looking for, I think, to be able to make decent throws, you know, on the move. He has anticipation. Um, You know, this is someone that overall... You know, he he doesn't get baited into making bad throws. I like his game. It's just that he's a small quarterback. And will teams be interested in a small quarterback? That's going to be the big issue. Now, a guy who has all the tools, if you combine basically Malik Willis and De'Eric King, you might get Desmond Ritter. Ritter has that big arm. He has the movement that you're looking for. He can run. Um, he can hang in the pocket. He can. I want to see him do a little bit better with that, but he's not bad at it. He has some good skills to slide and find open space. Um, his anticipation is a little spotty. He can get better, um, but he has moments that are very good. Um, and this is someone that I think has potential to really become um, a decent starter in the league and so I just want to see him get better at making reads. Um, I want to see him be a little less, ag- he's a little overly aggressive right now and leans a little too much on his arm talent. So, you know, again, this is a guy that I expect also to be a riser in this year's class. And then the last guy that we're going to talk about um, of this group is Carson Strong. I just watched Carson Strong and. You know, this is someone who has really good feel for the pocket. You know, he under he's not a runner, but he's someone that when pressure comes off the edge or up the middle, he can slide, reset, and fire. He has very good feet to to deliver in the quick game, quick throwouts, throw opposite field, be accurate, give his receiver room to run. And they spread the field a ton. At Nevada, what you see at Nevada is a lot of spread looks with quick throwouts, some crossing routes with mesh, or they throw, they go four verticals or five verticals or three verticals. You know, a lot of multiple receivers going downfield and letting Carson Strong just throw the ball, you know, downfield. And he has a range that's a pinpoint between 45 to 50 yards. After 50 yards, the ball. You know, he loses some of the arm strength to get the ball where it needs to be. But he can hit some receivers, 
you know, wide open or lead them with a lot of air under the ball at 55 to 60 yards. Um, he has that good enough arm on that level. The issue with his game for me is his footwork in the intermediate game where he has to take three-step drops. I haven't seen any good five-step drops out of him. And you want to see him get cleaner drops so that he can set up and his feet stay closer together so he can get the cleats in the ground and deliver with velocity. He loses velocity on the late out, on the late comeback, on the late curl, anything where he has to open his frame to the far sideline at the very end of his drop. His feet aren't good enough yet to where he can create a base to support strong velocity. And as a result, the leg locks out at times and the accuracy suffers, the velocity suffers, and you've got to be able to throw in the intermediate game. So, you know, to me, Strong is a guy who's going to be advertised as a high riser, and there's a lot to his game I like. I like his red zone um, acumen. He seems to have a good feel for what to do in the red zone. Good, good timing, you know, good pocket clock, good feel for placing the ball in the tight windows and the short ranges and the early intermediate ranges of the field, at least if he's in the, on the same side of the field as his target. Very good there. But, you know, I want to see improved footwork this year and show in it in the, with some of the, the intermediate game. Otherwise, he's a player that may be more of a fit-based quarterback prospect who needs, you know, a very specific offense, you know, to, to really have a shot to thrive in the way, say, like Carson Wentz need is, needs that or Sam Ellinger, as we talked about. So that's today's show. You got a little bit more than an hour. Hopefully that was, you know, gave you some worthwhile information both for fantasy and for your teams in terms of just, you know, long-term if any of those players that I talked about who could be contributors. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you guys listening. I know that uh, I've been kind of doing this every other week, but I've been busy with the RSP and some other projects going on. Um, And Mark Schofield and I will be back doing the quick game this season so look forward to that we'll be doing that every other week and Dwayne McFarlane I believe is scheduled to join the show with me at some point we're going to probably do at least talk about projections from our own perspectives for you know a number of teams not like we did in the past but we'll we'll kind of do a special on that Um, Jay Moyer is scheduled to do an RSP film room with me down the line we'll see if we you know he's busy with you know another child um, so and his work as a doctor so we'll see if that works out I've been waiting on him Ben Solak may be joining me in the RSP film room we'll see if we can wrangle him as well he's shown interest we'll see if we can get him um, his schedule nailed down so that we can do a film room with him and I think Lori Fitzpatrick will be um, joining me down the line once again as well so that's what's on tap for the RSP again the RSP projections and dynasty rankings update for august next seven to ten days might have two this year this month we'll see um rsp pre-draft post-draft next newsletter will be out in the next 10 to 14 days and i'll have updated three-year rankings for those folks at that time as well um so you know again appreciate your patronage um it's you know, it's a thrill to be able to do this for a living. And, 
you know, it, it's it's something that I just appreciate the feedback that you guys provide. And I hope that you all have an excellent August and we'll be in touch soon.